Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. We are blessed, and that's one thing I like to emphasize, that someone comes to me and say, I want to bless you. And I like to respond in this way, I am blessed, and I will never be more blessed than how I am right now in the Messiah. And so today we are blessed and blessings to you, and I pray that this recording will really enrich your faith and that your faith will grow as we're looking at Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. We just finished a unit, which was chapters 1 through 8, and I encourage you to go back and listen to these chapters. Now we're going to be looking at chapters 9, 10, and 11. To me, is a unit as well that is talking about the Israel according to the flesh and the Israel according to the promise. And we're going to start off by really seeing the heart of Paul. Now, just a little bit of a biographical sketch of Paul's life, and Alan is with me today as we are recording But Paul was a young student that studied at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel, that you see in the book of Acts, was the grandson of the great rabbi Hillel. The house of Hillel is known as one of the interpretations of the oral law, or I should say he had his oral law, and then Rabbi Shammai had a different oral law, and at many points they contradicted themselves. So Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. That means that he was one of his top students. Here in the Western culture, we try to get to the back of the room for a lecture. But in that culture, the closer that you were to the teacher, then that was a reflection of you as a student, of how much you had progressed and how you were one of the students that had influence over the other students. So Paul studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And when we look at Paul's life, he was zealous for the law. We understand from his own writings that he was of the nation of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin. He still understood his tribal identity. Benjamin was one of the tribes that was part of the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And as a Pharisee, he describes himself as a Pharisee of Pharisees, according to the law, blameless. And in the oral law, we understand that they had a method of really keeping yourself blameless concerning the written law, the law of Moses. And for me, that was ways of adding and subtracting, or I would say it in this way, you technically kept the letter of the law, but you were breaking the spirit of the law. This is what Jesus deals with when he's dealing with the Pharisaic movement in the Gospels. So according to the law, found blameless. He was zealous. He was an up-and-coming rabbi. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. He was very intentional of going after these Jewish people that believed in Yeshua, the Messiah. And he had a letter from Jerusalem to go all the way to the city of Damascus, finding Jewish believers in Jesus, the Christ, arresting them, bringing them back to Jerusalem in order for them to stand trial. And so he had that passion, and he had a zeal for God, but not according to the truth. 
And he understands that about the Pharisaic movement, and he understands that about the Jewish people, his own people, whom he loves with all of his heart. And so on this road to Damascus, he had this light that came from heaven. And by God's grace, the voice of Jesus spoke to him. And in that encounter with Jesus, his whole life was changed, and he becomes a follower of Christ. The one that was persecuting the followers of Christ is now one that is preaching that Jesus is the Messiah. And we see that in Acts chapter 9. And so as we look at his calling, how he is very intentional, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, we see how God is using him among the Gentiles. And as he's preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, especially in Acts chapters 13 and 14, along with Barnabas, massive numbers of Gentiles are coming to believe in the God of Abraham, in the Jewish Messiah, embracing a Jewish faith, a new covenant with the forgiveness of sins, and they are being born of the Spirit. And God is using Paul and using Barnabas in order to bring about the gospel to the Gentiles. And what an incredible thing that is happening. However, this is bringing a lot of persecution from the nation of Israel, from the Jewish people, especially when he goes back into Jerusalem, they want to kill him when he talks about the aspect of God sending him to the Gentiles. And in Jerusalem, they say, we have heard enough. This man does not deserve to live. So God is using him as a Jewish man to preach the gospel first to the Jewish people. He would go into the synagogues and Jews would believe, but persecution would arise within those synagogues. And then he would turn his focus to the Gentiles. And by the thousands and tens of thousands, Gentiles are coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a beautiful thing. And Paul recognizes God's calling upon his life as an apostle To the Gentiles. Now, when we look at this, many people would just be satisfied in that aspect of their life. Well, I'm not really being used in this area, but in this area, God is using me. And so I'm just going to focus here, and I'm not going to be concerned about the rejection of my own people to the gospel. That's not the heart of Paul. And we're going to see that in the first five verses, that as we look at these verses, we're going to see a man that loves his people, a man that is passionate for the Jewish people, even though they have become enemies of the gospel, we're going to see in chapter 11. He would do anything in order to see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And it breaks his heart. And there's an internal conflict that is going on within Paul's life concerning the rejection of the Jewish Messiah by the Jewish people. And I'm talking about the nation because there was a remnant of the Jews that did receive, and they took the gospel to the ends of the earth. So I want to read the first five verses, and then we'll come back and look at verse by verse. And Alan, could you read these verses for us? Sure, Scott. Chapter 9, starting at verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart, for I could wish 
that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belongs the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is Christ according to the flesh, who is over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Amen. In verse 1, and Alan, let's dialogue with what Paul is saying. I believe verse 1 is a reflection of what he's about to say in verses 2 and 3. And it's such a powerful statement that he's about to make that he wants the believers in Rome to understand, I'm not lying. Because if someone got up today and said this statement that he's going to make, especially in verse 3, then you and I would be skeptical whether or not this person is genuine. So in verse 1, he is saying, I'm telling the truth in Christ, in the Messiah. This is not a game. This is not an exaggeration. This is not hyperbole, you know, over-exaggeration. And sometimes people make a statement and they make it in in a way that's an exaggeration to bring forth a point. But he's not exaggerating here. Yeah, I think he clears it up with that verse, and to me it says, and we've talked about this before, it seems like he's really prayed about this, thought this through, you know, because he talks about his conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. You know, I think go back to especially a Second Corinthians, he did make some kind of bold statements for a, to make a point, but I think he's just really defining this as prayed about this, I really do feel this way, and this checks out with my spirit, and, and I believe this. And, and what he goes on to say is it's quite incredible, and it's something that that we've talked about offline that, you know, I don't think I could say what he's about to say to them, you know, in this part of the letter. So yeah, it's something that he did want to pray about. He wanted to make sure he just wasn't being overly emotional or maybe caught up in the moment. But this is a real, real feeling from Paul. And he's, he's thought it through, prayed about it, and he really is telling the truth. He's a very passionate individual. And you were talking about Second Corinthians Yes, very strong statements. I'm not so sure I would say that he's exaggerating, but what you're seeing is a passion that is coming forth. And the statement he's going to make in verse 3 here, he really wants to make sure that it's not exaggeration at all. He is saying, I'm telling you the truth and what I'm about to say. And there is the witness of the Holy Spirit that bears witness to my conscience. So his conscience had to be clear in this statement. I'm reading verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. So I agree with you. He's prayed. He's sought God. This is something that is with him. This issue, if you look at verse 2, this issue is with him all the time. And let's look at verse 2. It says, that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. Now, the heart represents really who we are as a person. And he says unceasing grief. And he has sorrow and unceasing grief. What is unceasing grief? It means it never goes away. And um, think about a person that loses something that's very dear to them or a person that is very dear to them. Time goes on, but that's always with them. It never goes away. This is how I think it is with Paul about the Jewish people, his own people, his own nation, that he wants to see to come to know their own Messiah, 
yet they're rejecting him in general as a nation under their shepherds, and it brings unceasing grief. And it's something that's always with him, just like you and I could have someone that's very dear to us, like my father who passed away. As time goes on, yes, you learn how to deal with it, but 15 years later, that's always with me. That unceasing grief, that sorrow that is there. And I really look at this as a godly sorrow, a holy sorrow. Yeah, I was thinking it's sort of like you talked about Paul and his love for the law and his love for, you know, the commandments and, and although it wasn't with the right truth, his intentions were there and he did love people. He loved his his brethren, his fellow Israelites. And it's almost like if you had family, direct family, mother, father, sons, grandchildren that were rejecting Christ and you knew that you couldn't turn them to it, they were just gone, turned away, and you had to minister to another family, you'd be pretty torn up about that in your heart, and it would be sorrowful. And I think Paul is really as passionate as he is. He's passionate for his people, and he he looks at them as family, and he doesn't want to see his family turn away from the truth. But he is seeing that, and he knows that's going to happen. That breaks his heart. Yes. And think of it also in this context— This is the people of God. This is a people for 2,000 years that have lived under the Abrahamic covenant. For 1,500 years, the Mosaic covenant, the Sinai covenant that was given to the people under the Abrahamic covenant. And it's his family, it's his people. His own immediate family are probably rejecting this message. The people that he's in school, Bible school with, yeshiva, whatever the context was of studying under Gamaliel, his nation, his prestige, his identity, everything is wrapped up with his nation. And now they're rejecting the very gospel that he is preaching to them. And now Gentiles are coming to believe in it. And he's seeing the hand of God and the power of God's spirit doing this. But there's that unceasing grief in his heart. And I think that I want to go back to the statement I make. There is a holy grief. There is a holy dissatisfaction that we can have as believers. And this sorrow, some people say, well, you're a believer. You should never carry sorrow within your life. And that's just not true. So when you look at my life, I do have joy. I do have peace. And at the same time, I can have unceasing grief in my heart as Paul had in his life, and that can also be from God as well. This longing to see his people come to know Christ, just like you were mentioning for family members. I have seen people that have prayed for 10, 20, 30 years for family members to come to know the truth about Christ, and yet their hearts become harder and harder through the decades and how that stays with them. The tears come up in their eyes when they begin to talk about their husband or their wife or their sons or father and mother that are rejecting the truth, and they've prayed and they've prayed, and they don't see any difference within their lives. There is unceasing grief as a believer that we carry many times for people that do not know him. We see that in verse 2, and I believe that is a godly sorrow. Verse 3 This is the statement that is so profound. He says, For I could wish, or it can be translated, for I could pray if it was possible on my behalf to really wish or pray or to desire if it could make a difference by me. 
this is what he would desire to do, that I myself were accursed. In Greek, that is anathema. That's the same word that is used in Galatians about those preaching a different gospel. Let them be accursed, anathema. I would see this as eternally condemned, separated from Christ. This is what he says in the next statement. Separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. If it was up to me, this is what I believe Paul is saying. If it is up to me, I would be willing to lay down my salvation so that my countrymen, according to the flesh, would come to know the saving knowledge of Yeshua the Messiah. And that's a desire that he had within his heart. That was that unceasing grief. That's how much he loved his own people. He would be willing to lay down his life in the context of his own salvation so that they could come into this covenant relationship with God, this new covenant that is based upon the forgiveness of sins. I was going to ask you, Scott, is this kind of what Paul's getting at here to the Romans with this original intent of these verses? Is this just a statement to show just how much he loves his people, or is there any other type of thing we glean out of him saying that, or is this just kind of an insight into Paul's heart, or is there something for us there to, should we feel like we should have that in our heart to give up, you know, our eternity for people that are lost, or? Well, the first thing I would say that Paul understands, that's not how God's salvation works. So that's why he says, for I could pray, for I could wish. And so he understands that that's not how God's salvation can take place in a person's heart. I cannot decide not to serve Christ and then that bring you to Christ. I can lay down my life for Christ and people can see it and they'd be willing to say, this man had something that I do not have and it be a testimony to Christ. So when I look at this, when in this context here is separated from Christ, he would be willing to do that. But he understands that God's salvation does not work in this way. But your question is, what's the underlining principle? What is he talking about here? As we go through chapters 9, 10, and 11, I believe what he is saying at the forefront of this dialogue is how important the nation of Israel, according to the flesh, is to him as a person, but not only to him, but to God. Everything that we have as believers, Gentile background believers that have come into this new covenant and have been grafted in to the Israel according to the promise we will see is coming from the Israel according to the flesh. And how important it is that we love them, pray for them, we reach out to them, how important they are to the whole plan of God's salvation. And we're going to see that so clearly when we get to chapter 11. And so, yes, there is an underlining purpose. Remember, the believers at Rome at this time are more Gentile background believers. The Jews were kicked out of Rome by Claudius. That was around 49 AD. This is 57 AD. So we're looking at eight years later. The believers in Rome have gone more from Jewish background to Gentile background, even though we know Jews are filtering back into the city to some degree. But this is a Gentile background believing church at this point. And when I say church, community of faith, I'm not talking about a building. Now, how do we understand Israel according to the flesh? And he's writing to them. And in chapter 11, he's going to tell them, do not become wise in your own estimation. He's talking about Gentile believers. 
and the Jewish Messiah, and there's going to be some strong warnings for them. Yes, that is the overall theme, I believe, that he's dealing with. Verse 4, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption as sons. Just like we understand adoption in Romans chapter 8, whether we're Jew or Gentiles through this new covenant, we cry out, Abba, Father, through adoption, the spirit of adoption. So are the Israelites according to the flesh. They were adopted by God. God chose Abraham by his grace, and Abraham believed God. He had faith in God and what God was saying to him, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He was adopted. The Israelites, we're looking at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name changed to Israel. We're looking at the 12 tribes of Israel. We're looking at the nation of Israel. Starting from the Hebrew people all the way to the nation of Israel, the Israelites, they have been adopted by God. Adopted as sons. And the glory and the covenants. The glory here could be looking at the glory of what God did through them and demonstrating his glory through the Israelites. And the covenants, plural, could be referring back to the Abrahamic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, and also the promise of a new covenant through the prophet Jeremiah that was prophesied to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. So covenants, plural, and the giving of the law, the Mosaic law, and the temple service, and the promises. The law was given to them before they came into the land so that they would be holy unto God and would be a priesthood to the nations, and the nations would come to fear the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of Moses, and this law was given to them so that they could be a light to the nations. And the temple service, we look at the priesthood and the temple that was established by Solomon and prior to that, the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the the priesthood that was established through Aaron and all the service that was brought unto God, ministry unto God, and how God's presence dwelt in the midst of Israel because in the Holy of Holies, God resided there, His Spirit resided there and the promises. We've been studying through the prophets chronologically and all the promises that God is making to the house of Israel, the house of Judah, to the Israelites, and a future kingdom that's going to be established through them. We see all of these promises. This is to the Israel according to the flesh. Verse 5, whose are the fathers and from whom is the Messiah according to the flesh who is over all God bless forever. Amen. So when we look back on this, he understands all of this. He understands what God has done in the past. He understands how the Messiah has come through Israel. But now he's seeing the rejection of their own Messiah, and it's breaking him to the point that there is unceasing grief within his heart. And this is what's moving him. And he's about to write about the Israel of the flesh and the Israel according to the promise for the next three chapters. Yeah, and you were talking earlier, Scott, and saying, you know, about this probably being predominantly Gentile body of believers. It's interesting to think about that, that they're seeing this, and they're coming to know Christ through the Jewish Messiah, and then there's this infighting between the Jews. There's Paul, and there's the Pharisees that are against him. They're not accepting it, and it's probably got to be hard to comprehend. This is from you. This is in your book. This is in your prophets. We're speaking about this. This is the fulfillment of 
of everything that, you know, God had promised you through the ages. You know, why aren't you accepting this? Why are you persecuting these other Jews who you call brothers and sisters, and you're coming against them? Now you're coming against us as Gentiles. And I mean, that just has to just be in that day and age and that time. That had to probably be just a really kind of awkward situation and for them to think about. And, and I think Paul's just expressing, you know, how much and how much sorrow he has because this is happening at his own people whom Jesus came through, who was the Jewish Messiah, that his own people are rejecting him. Yes, it's a very good point because Gentile background believers, and I always say Gentile background because when we come into this kingdom through this new covenant, we're one, Jew, Gentile together. But the background is looking at what's going on in the synagogue and the fight that is going on in the synagogue. And why do they not see their own Messiah? Why can they not understand Isaiah 53? Why can they not look within scriptures and see that Yeshua fulfilled their own scriptures? Now, remember, the synagogues are controlled by the Pharisees that had an understanding that they created called the oral law, the traditions of the elders. And it gave them control over everything because only they could interpret the scriptures and only they have the right to dictate to others what the scriptures is saying. And really, the gospel is a threat to their power. The gospel is a threat to their power, their influence, their voice over the Jewish people. That's the reason why Jesus fought with them over and over and over again. And the disciples were concerned that he offended the Pharisees. And Jesus says, let them alone. They are blind guides leading the blind. My father did not plant them, and what my father has not planted will be uprooted. And if a blind guide leads the blind, he will pull them into a pit. And so you bring up such a incredible point, the Gentile background believers looking at the conflict within the synagogue over the Messiah that they're believing in. And the majority of them are rejecting the idea that Yeshua is the Messiah. But now they have come to believe, and they know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and they know that they have forgiveness in his name, and they know the Spirit of God lives within them. And how can they not see this? How can they be so blind? It's right there before them. And this is what Paul is agonizing with as well. Yeah, and it seems like he's setting that up to, you know, he has this sorrow. He cares so much about them that that's the right attitude about this, is that it's, it's unbelievable. It's incomprehensible. It's a really sad day that these people have rejected their Messiah. And it's not, let's be angry, you know, at the Jews that that aren't following Christ, let's look at them with pity and sorrow and pray for them because this is huge that they're rejecting them for whatever reasons they are, whether it's power or just, yeah, the blind guides following things that that are not truth. And it's just, yeah, it's amazing how talking through this now, even on just this podcast, how much Paul is, is expressing that and really to those Gentile background believers. Yes, and remember, Paul would be as blind as they are if it wasn't for God's grace. That's why when he preaches, he understands that he is saved by God's grace through faith. Yeah, he was right there with them. He was just as, just as blind when he was there when Stephen was getting stoned. And he's, yeah, I mean, I think that's, you really see that humility and 
humble spirit from Paul. You know, he talks about he's the least of the apostles because of what he'd done, and he contributed to making the people blind. And you got to think there's probably people out there that heard Paul before um, the road to Damascus and still don't believe in Christ because of what he taught then. And that has to sit with him, That is that he taught that to his own brothers and sisters, and there's probably people out there that are not following Christ because of what he had taught in the past. Yes, and he is passionate about making that right. He was probably even responsible for Jewish believers losing their lives because of embracing Yeshua, the Messiah. And so all of this is with him. It explains so much about his life and that he was saved by God's grace through faith in his Messiah. As we get to chapter 11, this whole issue is going to just come full circle back to the Jewish people, back to the promises of God for the Israel according to the flesh and a promise of God's salvation that is coming to them again. And he's going to say that they have a partial hardening. It's not a complete, it's not a permanent But there's a partial hardening, a partial blindness that has been over the Jewish people, but that day is going to be uprooted. And one day they're going to see their own Messiah, and they're going to come to God's salvation. And what a day that's going to be. So just stay with us as we go through chapters 9, 10, and 11, and we're going to see how God is going to bring salvation to all of Israel. And we're going to see that in chapter 11. One last statement as we're closing. Through the centuries, there has been a lot of anti-Semitism towards the Jewish people. And as we look at the heart of Paul, we should have that same heart. When we're looking at the Jewish people, we should never, ever think, well, they're the Christ killers. Look at what they did and their rejection. It's by their rejection light has come to the world. Paul's going to say. So when we look at their rejection, it should not be in the context of any bitterness or hatred that is building up or anti-Semitism. It should bring us to the point of praying for the Jewish people, loving them for what they have done for us. It was Jews that brought the gospel to us. Jesus is the Jewish Messiah to Israel, and from Israel, salvation is coming to the world. And when we look at that, Jesus laid down his life willingly. No one takes his life from him. He lays it down willingly. He is the Lamb of God. He's going to the cross because he's God's Lamb, dying for our sins, for the sins of Israel and for the sins of the world. And so it should not bring up hatred towards anybody, bitterness, our pridefulness, our arrogance towards anyone. We should be broken over anyone that's rejecting the gospel, but especially the Jewish people. And I encourage everyone that's listening, pray for the Jewish people, love them, come to them and tell them thank you for everything that you have done for us, how you have impacted the world. You brought to us the word of God. You brought to us the law, the promise, the covenants. But thank you most of all that you brought salvation through your Messiah to my life. And tell them, we love you and we're praying for you. And, um, and build a friendship and have an appreciation for the Jewish people and everything that they have done to bring God's salvation to the world. And when they are rejecting Jesus as the Christ, that should not move you to arrogance. It should move you to your knees 
praying for them, loving them, reaching out to them, and letting them know how much we care for them. And may that be true for everyone that's listening. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, let us have a heart like Paul had for lost souls. And his love for the Jewish people, God, let that love be within our own hearts. And let us break and let us have unceasing grief and sorrow. And let us be broken for a world that does not know you, Heavenly Father, and use us for your glory to bring the good news to every person we come in contact with. And blessed are the feet of those that bring good news. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.